suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. Despite the reputation of their homeland, some are remarkably thin-skinned, some seem to have multiple lifespans, a few were once thought to be extinct in the region, others have been observed being sacrificed by their own. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, and what a collection of meerkats we have with us in this episode, dear listener. I, of course, am Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, looking to live up to my name tonight as I do battle. Uh, with me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, John. G'day, Joe. G'day, Liam. How are you all? And how yes. are the listeners? There are more of us. Joe, the tech guy's here. Good luck, Joe, maintaining all this tonight. It'll go swimmingly, I'm sure. Yes. Also, we've got Liam. You might remember Liam, dear listener, who debated successfully, ultimately. He did Scott. not successfully <laughs> debate me. He has got me to change my position for two electoral terms, and I just hope and pray that the Labor Party actually picks up on it and moves slightly to the left. That's my definition of success. Welcome back, Liam. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with that, that definition as well. No. Yeah. And also, also in his car with the windows wound up so as to reduce yeah. road noise is uh, John Dire Straits, John, who you might see in the chat room previously on different occasions. So John's going to join us as well. Welcome aboard, John. Thank you, Trevor. I'm, right. Uh, happy to be convinced either way. We'll see how we go. Yeah. So guess what? We're going to talk about the voice. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Because it's coming up, isn't it? And we've been holding 14th of, off. 14th of October. Yeah. And Liam reached out and said, Trevor, I think there hasn't been quite enough pushback on some of the ideas you've been putting forward. And so Liam's put his hand up as the devil's advocate yet again. Or just, no, well, not. You actually, you are a, you're going to be a yes voter. Is that correct? Yeah. Liam? I'm at this point, I'm pro yes. Yep. Yeah. So, so Liam's going to put the yes. Um, side forward and we're going to just see where things go i've got a mountain of notes that we can fall back on if the discussion falters but um but yeah we're going to talk about the voice so without any further ado if you're in the chat room say hello and liam do you want to um kick off with your thoughts having listened to the bits and pieces i've said over time and um you know, where I'm not uh, giving enough weight to something perhaps or I'm just totally wrong on something or something I've missed or just give us a, give us a bit of a spiel, Liam. Uh, yep. I think maybe I'll try and just summarise what I feel is kind of the reasons why I'm a yes voter and then maybe we can, and that's, I think, you know, I've got, I think, four succinct points in front of me and then we can delve into more detail as required. Um, so... Starting off, point number one, I think there's a sort of a time element to this. So 
while there may be issues that you have with it, uh, this is the opportunity we have. And if not now, it's sort of been mentioned that it's not going to be for another two terms. I think at least that sort of something like this goes up again. Um, and during that time, we'll still continue to have sort of poor results for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So there's an opportunity we have at the moment. And while you may have problems, this is kind of a good opportunity to see some results, I feel. Um, secondly, I think the um, putting it into the constitution is uh, required basically through, we've had the historical dissolution of all the previous bodies. So uh, ATSIC, then it was the, was it the NAC, the, yeah, the NAC, second NAC, ATSIC and the NIC um, have all sort of been dissolved at different points. And one of the biggest things I think we need is sort of con continuity and support. Um, just the different programs need to be stood up, um, administered, and then continued for a period of time and possibly adapted um, to provide support to get the bridge of the gap effectively. Um, I think we've talked a lot on the podcast, or you've talked a lot on the podcast about sort of being a racist proposition. Uh, I think it, it is a racist proposition. I'd agree to that. I think um, it does separate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people out um, and confers upon them a very small right. And I think we should emphasize and uh, emphasize that it is a very small right. So they'll be able to make recommendations to parliament will have no actually hard power. So the key here is that they'll have a voice and they'll be there and be consulted on issues that affect them. And I think that's been lacking in the approaches the government's sort of had so far. Um, also, like a sort of sub point on that one is given the way that sort of lobbying and sort of money is affecting our politics at the moment, I feel this sort of levels the playing field a very small amount um, to some of our most disadvantaged people. Yep. Hey, I'm just going to interrupt briefly, Liam. Just when you turn to the right, your mouth goes right over the microphone, which then gets all breathy. So just put the <laughs> microphone a bit more to the right so that you're not breathing straight into it because it's getting quite breathy. But sorry. Keep nope, going. That's good comment. I'll move my notes to. I'll move my notes to the right. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, and then the final point. Um, I don't think we can sort of just call them out as any other sort of low socioeconomic group um, that can be sort of assisted by our standard programs. I think they're sort of distinct and different enough that we need to look at them and administer culturally appropriate programs to assist them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so that's the sort of crux of my argument. Um, four points, and we can go from there. Yeah, yep. Uh, I guess initially I would say this is a balancing act depending on the priorities you have in your mind, and different people will weigh things up differently. So other issues we talk about, like nuclear submarines i can pretty much categorically say that if you're in favor of those you're just wrong right but um this this is one which will depend on your life experiences and your thoughts about different things and how you prioritize things so i i guess it's one of those ones where i'd say it's a judgment call of weighing things up and i don't particularly um, begrudge people or I don't know begrudge is the right word but um, I, I certainly can understand how people come to the yes vote and I can understand how people come to the no vote and I can see how um, people get there each way and I understand that it's not crazy in either case is what I would say so um, 
So first off, um, urgency of this. Um, you know, things need to be done to address poverty, particularly for Indigenous people in rural and remote communities. It doesn't have to be done through a voice. We could be implementing programs today to do stuff. So there's no reason why things can't be done without a voice, for example. So to me, almost urgency might be a reason why not to have a voice because that's just another body that things are going to potentially go through. So it's, it's not as if things have to be done through a voice to get things done. So, so I don't see the urgency argument as, as compelling. Um, I would have thought it is probably urgent because, um, well, Marcia Langton's not getting any younger. You know, but it's it's urgent if you want to pass the voice, but if you want to do something in Indigenous communities, that's yeah, a different matter. Yeah, I understand that, but what you've also got to understand is that the voice is still yet to be designed by the Parliament, still yet to be implemented by the Parliament. This is just making a, a part of it in our constitution that they could then rely on and that sort of stuff if they ever wanted to sue the government for not actually setting the voice up. The voice, is, think... only, the voice is also only something that is a... Uh, what's the word I'm groping for, uh, is only something that is giving advice to the government, which they are more than able to ignore if they so desire. So I don't think we're going to end up, with, I don't think we're going to end up in high courts or anything like that. I don't think it's going to clog the courts with arguments that, oh, you, you didn't listen to the voice, so we're going to sue you. It's just something that has been worked through it was put together with the Uluru Statement, which was a gathering of, I don't know, a few hundred people and that sort of stuff. And, yes, 20% of them did, didn't didn't want to sign up to it. I do agree with that. But 80% of them did want it. So I would have thought if it's something that they have actually asked for, then it's something that um, we've got to actually grant them. If you said to any... If you said to any group, here's some special stuff, do you want it? But what, what, what group is going to say no? Yeah, okay, but what's, what's the sort of special stuff they're going to get out of it? Well, all they're, all they're going to they, do they're is going they, all they're going to do is have an advisory body and that sort of stuff that's mm -hmm. going to filter everything through this one body that's then going to talk directly to government. And can the government ignore it? Yeah, absolutely, they can. Hmm. Of course, they can. The government yeah. can ignore it. Mm. I think you know, this is this has led and to probably arguments will. from and this has led to arguments from the no case and that sort of stuff that are saying that you'll end up with the same problem that you had in Canada, where their well, I can't remember what it was called, but their voice is what it, is what it amounted to. Ignored the ignored was ignored by the government, so the government found themselves in court, and it's only just been ruled on in, by whatever their whatever their high court is saying that the government can ignore the advice if they wish to. I think so, it's abundantly clear that our voice will be able to do the same thing. So I don't think we're going to end up in... Yeah, the I don't have a problem with that. I don't have an issue with that. I'm sh 
I think the, the largest mechanism is A, that they contribute to the discussion and then B, that in the event of the government ignoring their advice, there is capacity for the, you know, there be a spokesman or the media to actually run with that. So, yeah, you know, exactly. of course, we got to say we suggested A and they did not take that advice. Mm -hmm. which, is something that, which is something that could be argued in the court of public opinion, but I don't think it's going to end up in law courts or anything like that. Mm. Yeah. So it's a special right of lobbying is yeah. essentially what's being offered here. Which, yeah, which, okay. is which is not really a big problem because they're not getting paid for it. It's well, just... Well, it's, Scott, my problem is to do with the treatment of different categories of people based on race. So the problem is, all right, the actual right being granted ultimately probably isn't going to be particularly powerful, although I wouldn't mind being able to sit in Parliament with a with Parliament's forced to be my audience while I tell them what I think should happen in the world. Like, and get a beep. pretty penny for it as well. We're not even sure if they're going to get paid for it. Though, Scott, though. companies pay a lot of money for yeah, lobbyists no, to go into Parliament yeah. and make representations. Yeah. So it's not insignificant power to be able to have that access to people and to put forward your case. Like, yeah, okay. it is a right of some significance. Now, sure, the parliament can ignore it, but it's genuinely a right that is going to be given. And the point that we're going to get to eventually is that this is not a right that everyone's been given. Yeah, it's a I right agree, that's yeah. been given to a particular cultural group, hmm. Indigenous think, people. Like, well, and that yeah. is... That is the only problem that I've got with it. Now, you know, Liam was talking about the culture group and that sort of stuff. And my hair on the back of my neck went up when he started talking like that because, you know, culture is not something that we have to respect. It's got to earn our respect. And there hasn't been a hell of a lot of the cultural practices of our Indigenous brethren that I think deserves any sort of respect. I think that's a, it's a very tough point of view in terms of like their cultural practices like we've kind of been as a dominant culture and basically wiped out their whole population then exploited their labor yeah i agree they weren't allowed to vote and then, yeah i agree yeah I so, agree. and then at this point we're saying oh their culture is not something to be respected when i don't know like there's a whole bunch of alcoholism and issues with mm -hmm. their yeah, I don't think I don't think alcoholism. I don't think alcoholism is part of their culture. You know, it's um, no, but like, uh, like, a, what are you pointing out as parts of their culture that need to? Like, oh, they shouldn't crazy. really even have to justify their culture to you. I feel like they should be able to exist peacefully in their own sort of world, and they shouldn't have to sort of be absolved, absorbed into ours. Yeah, so then you well, got the, pro then you got well, the problem that you know you've Okay, got. so so that's that's a good point to just re repeat that again that they shouldn't be they shouldn't forced. have to sort of justify their existence or yeah. the, you know justify their cultural practices significant to you to be able to practice yeah. them. Yes, and shouldn't be absorbed into ours. Is that right? No. Yeah. No, okay. Well, I'm totally like I've yeah. heard previous arguments. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then you can have the then you get the situation like they have in the Northern Territory where oh, it was years ago. Now there was a case where there was a guy that was convicted was was accused of rape and that sort of stuff. And they said, "I oh, will handle it." So he was speared through his leg, and they said, "Well, that's it. It's over now." Rather than rather than the cops getting involved and that type of thing. 
Yeah. So can I could, could, go ahead, John? I was, I was going to say back to when you were saying about uh, access and, and whether or not to get paid or not. The Aboriginal people don't get the same access that religious groups and, and big company get, and that's through money. So maybe this is a way for Aboriginal groups to have some sort of voice up there that, that, that the power and the money has been able to get totally before. Okay, I'm conscious that we're I'm conscious that we're chopping and changing here. So I want to run through to the end of some of these rabbit holes before we move to another one. Just just back to this comment because it's a crucial one is about being absorbed into our culture. John, I promise you we'll come back to that. Hold that thought and bring it back. But one of the things I find in this Liam is that we're talking about closing the gap. And what what is often measured there in terms of the gap is education levels, health levels, wealth and income levels. Um, th- these sorts of, you know, how many doctors do we have that are Indigenous? How many Indigenous people have a degree, a PhD? How many are in the middle class, upper class? And so one of the things that we do with figuring out whether we've closed the gap is measure Indigenous people by their success in our society. So if we're going to say Indigenous people don't have to merge into our society and take on our culture, then how can we then insist that that key criteria are matching up and how can we be surprised then if we don't have the same number of doctors, lawyers, teachers? Because if we're saying to people, keep your own lifestyle, do your own culture, you don't have to merge into ours, but then we start measuring things about how well they've done in typical features of our culture. I'm okay with saying you don't have to merge, but then you have to acknowledge that that the counting criteria is flawed. The assessment criteria isn't going to make sense. You're on mute, is it? Can I, I can't hear Liam. Can, no, neither can I. Uh, no, no, still can't hear you. What's going on? You must have muted it. Oh, there's what a little bug on my... Is that back? Yeah, it's back. Yeah. I accidentally muted myself. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yep, in terms of that, um, I think, yeah, uh, tend to agree with a few things there and maybe disagree on some. So I think the the criteria that we're measuring by are inherently sort of our cultural criteria and that ideally in a perfect world they wouldn't... Um, but, but this is the whole they wouldn't point. Just be absorbed, and that would be, you know. But they like they will realistically need to integrate into our culture somewhat. I think before when I was talking to Scott, it felt like we're they're having to justify their existence and their culture to right. even exist, right? Which I feel is like fundamentally wrong. Well, um, I don't think that I don't think they need to. They don't think they need to justify their existence to us. Mm. You know, it, it's they exist. You know, mm. it's and, and yeah, on the twenty sixth of January, I'm very much with them. I think we should change the date. You know, yep. it is a, um, you know, it's, it's just, 
it's celebration of invasion, really, is what it comes down to. So I think we've actually got to change that. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, well, but anyway, that's something else that's going to be diverging again. Yeah, okay. Dick to Trevor's argument. I think. Go on, Trevor. Yeah. No, I think you kind of agreed with me, didn't you? That, uh, that there is like, a, it is an issue that if you're not going to uh, to I join mean, into it, the Western culture, everything needs to come to the table a little bit, right? Like there is going to be some assimilation. There's not like you know we can draw a line in the sand and they exist over there, and like we're far past that point. Mm. Um, I'm just making the point that they should be able to have their own culture and have a sort of quality uh, quality of life similar to that of uh you know the europe western european kind of people on the continent um but yeah that will involve some integration um so i just won't disappear though liam sorry Sorry, if if you're bringing up the aboriginal forest trade on a level of um uh, what do you call it the general quality of life won't that make aboriginal Torres Strait islanders more like us to put it bluntly well, I think, yeah, there's going to the be some level of assimilation, I think. You know, there's yeah. going to be an overlap of culture and probably over time would they be sort of realistically distinct or not? I don't know if you went far enough into the future. But I think for, like, right now, they should be able to exist as a sort of have their own practices and cultural norms and things and not have to do exactly the same way that we do. Um, and then, sorry, I'm sort of losing my, my track here, but... Um, I feel the the argument from Trevor, right, is that we're... I'm, I'm basically saying that if you're not aiming to bring Indigenous people into the modern Western lifestyle in Australia, and if you're wanting to keep them in a traditional Indigenous lifestyle in a remote town or area, then it's really unfair to expect these key criteria to match up, if it is my point. And so closing the gap is a problem if people are not going to uh, assimilate into the into our lifestyle to a significant degree, because otherwise it, you just can't expect well, Those I think there's probably a few up. metrics, right, that you could probably highlight as, you know, they could be culturally distinct and then still not um, have what they have. So, like, you know, the lower life expectancy, ideally you'd be able to have live in your own sort of ways but have a similar life expectancy. You'd also mm-hmm. expect to not have their, so such a high proportion of their youth sort of locked up behind bars. So mm-hmm. they're kind of two key issues, I think, that are issues at the moment and that, mm-hmm. you know, they could... They can have, like, in a healthy society or a healthy sort of culture town exist with their own culture but not have everyone, you know, going through the courts and being locked up in juvenile facilities. But don't something like 90% of Aboriginal people live in suburbia? Aren't they already essentially assimilating? So there are, yes, there are. There are some. So I think we're probably talking about there is different groups here. There are probably people assimilating living in sort of suburbia. There's probably low socioeconomic groups that are probably more remote and, you know, where there is large issues. So, yeah, it's not all sort of, they're not all the same. I mean, there's an emerging middle class of Indigenous people. And 
I'll take a punt that they're living in urban areas. Technically, I'm one of them. So, um, uh, Aboriginal in my community. Yeah. So, uh, my point is if we want Indigenous people to join the middle class, we probably need to get them out of remote communities where there's nothing to do. There's a whole range of social problems that come out of that living condition. And it's an unrealistic expectation that people could live in those communities with nothing to do with a social welfare system that's going to prop them up and not have drug, alcohol, violence. Uh, but um, so, so, yeah, so I'm just sort of caught your point about assimilation, if you like, or, or expecting Indigenous people to adopt Western lifestyle. And I'm saying I don't expect them to if they don't want to. It's just don't complain if the metrics don't add up to the same as an urban lifestyle of, a, of other Australians. I would, I would agree to that to the point. Like if you want to live mm. a life out in the bush hunting game or doing something, yeah. um, I would probably not expect you to have the same life expectancy as someone mm. sitting in metropolitan Brisbane living yes. a fairly cosy life uh, yes. with all the access to healthcare. Uh, however, I would think that there are certain metrics that should be closer than they are. So yeah. the ones I pointed out. Yeah, for sure. So circling all the way back to the beginning about urgency as your very first point, Yep. Um, it's urgent to get the voice passed in the sense that if it doesn't happen this time, it's not going to happen for a long time. But if you disagree with the voice, then that's not an argument for the voice. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Okay. so what, well, is, urgent, we'll what say... is urgent is, is helping people out in – particularly remote communities, and that can be done without the voice. So isn't it going to end up then, Trevor, it's going to be a top-down approach where government decides what's good for you and that sort of stuff, and they'll chuck money at it. Well, and that's what yeah, I know, which is exactly what they're, what they're complaining about. Whereas if, if you give them a voice and that sort of thing, if you actually listen to them, mm -hmm. then you might actually find out that the programs could be better targeted. Mm. That you could have have, have. have we not been listening? I don't think we've been listening to them. No. How do you know that? Well, I don't know that, but I'm just looking at. I'm just looking yeah. at the results, and I think to myself that ah, so the results are poor. Yeah, because we have not been listening. That's, um, your, that's your evidence for us not listening. No. We haven't been consulting. We haven't uh, when major decisions have. Made, I would agree with that. So we, because we haven't. You've had we, different commissions. We, we, yeah, I, my biggest argument along those lines is I think there just needs to be continuity. So there was the four different bodies that were stood up and disbanded. Yep. And I'll get maybe, to continuity. It's on the list. You, well, actually, yeah, actually, along this point, though. We're if, talking, you, if you put yeah. it into the no, constitution, no, then the Tories can't come in and just scrap no, it. Like no, but it's got, you said we haven't been, we haven't, they haven't had a voice. They yeah, haven't okay. been consulted. Right. If we ask them what they want, then something might be done. And my question to you is, well, how, many how do you know that people have not been consulted? Well, I don't know because I'm not part of that group or anything like that. Have, if However, I, when I've looked at reports mm -hmm. on different things, like I looked at one because we spoke a few weeks ago about, um, what was it? It was the income management uh, issue 
um, in the Northern Territory with uh, social welfare cards and things like that. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me about these inquiries is the enormous level of stakeholder engagement of going into communities and seeking opinion from people on the ground. That's what strikes me with a lot of these big decisions. Is, yeah, okay. Well, is, I, but how many, how many of them were consultant for the um, intervention and that type of thing? I think, well, on terms like current point, though, I think there is like consultation, but then there's also continued mm. sort of improvement, which is, I think then goes back mm. to my point about continuity. We need yeah. to have programs and they need so, to have the time and space to change and see what yeah. works and then yeah. properly Can implement I say something for a long period of time. Said then mm. about yeah. um, consultation. Mm. As you know, I am in the party. But the, any politicians in such a bubble, when they talk about um, consultation about anything, it's very rarely coming from the people. It's always coming from whoever shouts the loudest. Well, there's no continuity or um, uh, politicians hearing what needs to happen at the top. Well, I, I can just say that on some of the major decisions where reports are done, you can see there's an enormous level of on-the-ground consultation to work out what's going on. And that... we've got people in the parliament who are Indigenous so just, uh, you know, there is this notion put forward that they haven't had a voice. But, you know, most, most cultural groups are uh, a department, say education, the education department's going to make some changes and uh, to religious instruction or whatever, you know. They'll go outside and consult with uh, groups like... Um, Queensland Parents for Secular Schools, the various religious groups get their feedback and and then report to the minister and make and a decision. And then totally ignore it. Exactly. Exactly. But that's the normal process of government is to the department going out and reaching out to stakeholders. So the Indigenous example has been a little bit unusual in that within government... Um, there has been five different commissions set up by government to say, we're going to give you a, some help here with giving us stakeholder feedback. So we had five that, and then there's a history of them failing and being disbanded and, and here we are with Julia's nothing at the moment. I think Julia's got a point there, isn't it? So, that, that ALP usually set them up and the Libs tear them back down again, is that... Yeah. Yeah, but, Is that an argument for the yes vote to, to keep one of them going? So, so you know, my, po my point is that stakeholder groups are normally outside of government and departments would go out to them and consult. And we have had a series of different groups funded by government working like ATSIC actually delivering government programs. So it's it's... It's just a furphy to say for the last 40 years we haven't been listening at all to what people, Indigenous people, have to say. And it's as if there's some secret, some secret solution that if only um, we'd had the voice 
we would have been able to tell the government, oh, here's the silver bullet or here is 10 silver bullets that never got acted on because nobody listened to us. But I've yet to hear what these things are that never got up because nobody was listening. And if I was running a campaign, campaign for the Yes campaign, I'd be saying, right, tell me, tell me concrete examples of things that have been missed because we didn't have the voice. And if we had it, then this would have been different. And I haven't heard one. Look, I'm not in the detail of individual programs, but on your like point about consultation, I think the mm -hmm. biggest issue is there's consultation possibly, but whether it's actually listened to or not is probably the the bigger issue. And, and I then, agree with uh, that. I agree with yeah. that. I agree that it may not have been listened to, but the first part of your sentence was there's probably been consultation. Yeah. And there's no guarantee that the voice is going to mean that it's going to be listened to. But yeah, this isn't like a black and white thing, right? Yeah. Like if yeah. if we have the voice, it doesn't magic bullet solve all our issues. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. If we do have the voice, though, there is a continuous just part in the government that can keep relaying these messages to government that this should work or this won't work and we can keep mm. improving. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to um, overcoming inconsistency of regularly disbanded bodies. All right. Yep. So that's an advantage that you see in in this this proposal. And look, there's no doubt that it would mean it'll ne there'll always be something because there's just got to be according to the constitution. I think I know where you're heading with this. <laughs> but it might be one dark dude in a shed in the NT, or it could be a full body. It across requires the money. If yeah. If if Tony Abbott or somebody like Morrison or you know somebody just doesn't like the idea of it gets in, uh, they it's so you know the proposal is so vague that there's no compulsion for a massive infrastructure to do the job properly. So if funding's not provided, then the whole thing just um, could be just a a useless shell of a. Of a, of a voice. There's no guarantee that the government will fund anything of significance by this. It could be, as you say, a handful of people in a shed if, if it's a, a government that is of that mind. I so there's probably two points I'd say on that. So the first yeah. is if the referendum passes, then that would be a sort of strong indication from the people that this is something that they want and that it would be unpopular for a government to go in and sort of cut cut all the cut the whole thing to shreds. Uh, the second part is that uh, look, it's not a perfect solution, uh, but it's probably the best that we can do given mm. so you know mm. we've had bodies stood up and taken down and then this gives at least some level of permanence. So yes, yep. the, the libs could trash it the next time they get in government, sure. But that's impossible to stop. Yeah. Um, so so, we've, so I've said my bits on urgency and overcoming inconsistency. And you've also said that, look, Indigenous um, people have issues that are different 
because of location and culture to other poor people, I think is what you're sort of getting at. Am I right? That they yeah, therefore need a special that... body to deal with their peculiar circumstances. Is that... I would say that when you're designing a program to assist any sort of group of people, if they have distinctive characteristics, then you need to have the program work along those lines. So, yeah. Um, yeah. See, yeah. And, and this, without a voice, there's nothing stopping a government. No, no, it's opinion. again like we're like wrapping around on, like you in a perfect world, you can do all these things. But yes. the problem is that they'll probably take longer than three years or maybe six years. And then when the Liberals get in and they just pull the pin on the program, that can. The voice just isn't going to change that. any of that. Didn't you think that. I, um... like these, aren't, these aren't. Yeah, what I'm saying is this is not the silver bullet, but it is a chance to make progress. Um, Political pressure might prove. Yeah. So there, yeah, there is the element I was talking about before. So it's a referendum that passes. So there is mm. some political pressure not to just gut the whole thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, mm. if you if you were a government mm. that you know didn't want to help Indigenous Australians, and of course there's avenues for you to just gut the entire thing and throw programs out the window and you know shift blame onto the body, which I think is what I read in one article was happened with that six. So like, mm. yep. yeah, there yep. are avenues where as a government yep. you could. Tear it all yep. down. Yep. So it 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 might um, it might do something, but it doesn't. But my point is, by its very nature, it doesn't doesn't solve any of these problems. It it might just add a little bit of weight to make it a little bit more embarrassing to shut down an indigenous commission. But these people are beyond embarrassment. <laughs> your, your your argument now is verging into the you know it doesn't go far enough. So, like, you know, we're doing too little. Uh, no, because um, I'm saying it's a balancing act and I'm saying that the benefits that are obtained from the voice are, I consider, small. And then we get to the negative of the racism aspect. Okay. And so what I'm... Uh, previous uh, 38 minutes was about, in my mind the benefits aren't as strong or as good or as powerful as people think. And and on the other side, I have an issue with the inherent racism in the proposal, which I think outweighs it. So, um, so it's not a case of saying it doesn't go far enough, which you'd need to do more. It's... It doesn't add much, and the problem is it comes attached with this other big disadvantage of racism. So, uh, what is the? Can you explain the racism part a bit more? So I feel like, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's the there's the racism brand, which seems bad. But this is like, you know, positive racism. Basically, I would sort of liken it to. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, but also very, very mild positive racism, giving very mild powers to. A, small part of the population who historically we've done absolutely horrendous things to. Yeah. So it, it is a form of positive racism. Um, the problem with that is when you open the door to saying it's okay to provide special rights based on cultural groups 
than other cultural, then your argument to deny other cultural groups special rights starts to fall away. So when a Christian... A a slippery slope kind of thing going on. Uh, well, hear me out. When a Christian... See, see, when, you know, last eight years we've spent railing against Christians wanting special privileges who say we're different. Because of our culture, we need to group together so we can only employ people as math teachers who are Christians because we're special. And in my argument, the first thing that I think of with these issues is we're all, we all have the same equal rights. You Christians are not special. You have to work in the same system that we all have to work in. And if you start saying uh, cultural groups can have different rights, then you can no longer maintain that argument. You, you are saying, well, you can have different rights for different cultural groups if it's a positive thing, right? And I would so, say it's a positive thing in the very rare exceptional mm. circumstance. Yeah, given the given the fact that well, sort of over. Yep, yeah, yeah. and you know what? If if ninety nine, ninety, eighty five, eighty percent, if if ninety percent of Indigenous people were uh, uh, poor and disadvantaged, it was so close to one hundred percent. You thought it just doesn't matter. It's like Indigenous equals poor and disadvantaged. Then I'd be inclined to say, okay, let's just let's just say all Indigenous people. Need, need these special rights because they're all disadvantaged. But they're not. There's a burgeoning middle class and upper class of Indigenous people. There are, there's a spectrum of, of success and disadvantage in Indigenous communities. So I'm all about helping people who are disadvantaged. And dear listener, if you've tuned into this and you've never heard this before, triple, quadruple the amount of money that goes to poor Indigenous communities. Fine with that. But you just have to make the distinction that people should get this money and advantages and help because they're disadvantaged, not because they are part of a cultural group. You need to look within that. And the problem with the voice is it's ignoring class. It's saying that Indigenous people, uh, as a cultural group, will get these particular rights. And I have a real problem with that. And so I accept that my emphasis on equal rights is, is maybe higher than other people because of my experience with religion and what I think of that in particular. And it's just me. And other people may say, yeah, that's, that's not such an important thing. Uh, can live with some, some good racism and I don't care about these arguments um but i do and so i prioritize that and that's my judgment that that's uh more important than the other factors that we've just talked about yeah look i can i can understand all that i would mm. say that i don't weigh that nearly as highly as you seem to um, mm. i also don't see the sort of slippery slope of us undermining our general premise of how we operate um, through sort of get, like giving the okay to this one voice. So yeah, um, can I, okay. Can I say that um, 
I think Marcia Langton, in a previous form, an earlier format, kind of agreed with me on the importance of 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 this to some extent. So I'll just um, go through some of my notes here a little bit, but we had a um, an expert panel on recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples uh, in the Constitution 2012 and a joint select committee um, shortly after that. And in an article um, where... And, and so this is in 2013-2015, and they were saying, what should we do to recognise Indigenous people in the Constitution? And what they came up with at that point, after consultation, was let's get rid of the race provisions in the Constitution and let's put in a section that recognises the history, that Indigenous people were here first and that they suffered and... And that was the proposal that came out in 2012-2013, recognition of Indigenous culture and people and their history and removing the specific race provisions in the Constitution. Now, that I could agree with. Not a problem. All perfectly fine. When people say, oh, this changed the voice, it's about recognising people, I say, no, it's not. It's more than that. We've, We've moved beyond what was proposed in 2012-2013. If they had stuck to that proposal, the referendum would get up because it doesn't, it doesn't have a racist element to it. And people would say, fair enough, that's history, and, yeah, let's get rid of race from the Constitution. And Marcia Langton at the time wrote an article basically saying we need to get race out of the Constitution. It shouldn't be there. And we should move to a situation where we're just talking about being Indigenous is just an interesting little sideline and it doesn't make who you are and what's important is let's look after disadvantaged people. Like, that's what she was saying back then. And it's Noel Pearson and the Uluru Statement that introduced the idea of the voice. And that's the one where your average Australian, who's not a racist, I mean, there are uh, racist Australians, of course, but the the people who are voting no in this referendum are people who are saying, I think we're all should be the same. I think we should treat people equally. I don't think I'm special. I don't think anybody else is special. I think we should all have the same rights and just help out poor people. That's what people are objecting to the idea of of racial um, categorisation and and division. The, The irony in this argument, the debate in Australia has been appalling in that the no voters... Well, the yes voters are accusing all no voters of being racist. <laughs> and you could be, as in my case right now, if you understand the argument, dear listener, is you're trying to be as race-blind as possible. That's the issue. And, and these people are being accused of racist. So, um, so 
so if they'd have stuck to the original 2012-2013 idea without introducing the voice, it would get up. And would, yeah, but would that make a difference, Trevor? Would no, none of this makes a difference. No, there's nothing is going to make a difference because ultimately, nobody's able to to deal with the hard, uncomfortable truth in this whole thing. So none of it's going to make a difference. It's all window dressing. I, I would disagree with that. I think it can make a difference. Mm. If you had a body that's set up and listened to by the government for a continued period of time, then mm. it could make a difference. Why, why, hasn't, why hasn't it made any difference in the last 40 years? Because they tore it apart. They tear yeah. everybody down. Like, no, yeah. no bodies lasted, I don't know, what's what? the longest duration of any of one of the four? And then, the yeah, and then also, mm. you know, you get liberal governments which have been fairly dismissive of mm. the Indigenous peoples. We had uh, the NACC was from 1977 to 1985. We had ATSIC for 15 years, 1990 to 2005. So n n none of these... N nobody wants I, to deal with that. I have to, like, go into... Well, I have to do more yeah. research into how these bodies functions, what programs they ran, yep. and then you yep. know how much they were funded yep. and listened to them by the government. But like, yep. But what's the what's the what's the policy that's that's been missing that the voice proponents say we needed this and we didn't get it because we didn't have a voice? If only we'd had it. No, I don't we're, think we're that's not disputing that they haven't had a voice at different points in time. No, no the period. idea, the policy. Like, the whole point of this is there are ideas that Indigenous people have about how to improve the lives of Indigenous people. And the reason that we have not been able to do something is because nobody's been listening to us about these ideas. I don't and, think that's... Not, not just listening. It's about putting them into positions where they can sort of control their own destiny. Well, but, but the voice is about... Nobody's listening to us. That's the crux of the voice. Is nobody's listening. We need a voice to tell Parliament stuff. And I've yet to hear the argument that says, like A, B, C and D, if only you'd listened to these ideas, we'd have been somewhere different by now. I think it probably goes down more to sort of like lower level, like, smaller programs in different communities like they're all not homogenous well this you know that is true so one of the things out of uh particularly with the um income management program which the reports i was reading which was sort of post the event and interviewing people afterwards as to what they thought it was split 50 50 in these communities about whether they thought it was a good idea, the income management, or not. And so one of the things to come from it was uh, different regions have different desires and wants and needs and circumstances. And so, uh, so yeah, in fact, in fact, if that is correct and if... Um, if there's a spectrum of answers to things, 
quite often the role of the voice would be to say, you know what, in this community we should be doing ABC and in that community DEF and this community over here is completely split. It, it would be hard for the voice to make a recommendation on um, income management if they looked at the results in some communities where it was 50-50 and they'd go, well, some audit and some don't. It, it, a, a lot of the reports are showing that regional solutions are what's needed. I don't know that a central body in Canberra is necessarily the right place to start if, the, if regional answers are the solution. There's yeah, but they're also they're also saying that there's a certain number of those representatives have got to be from the regions, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. And there's also like, you know, different levels of represent like mm -hmm. different levels of government for different things. So the mm -hmm. federal government could be mainly around sort of giving up funding and you know which programs continue to go ahead or which don't and and making fairly high level decisions, but then really pushing down the majority of money and, you know, autonomy to oh. lower levels. Yeah. But you know what? All the money in the world for people in remote locations with nothing to do who have been yeah, herded you need to in, fix the root cause been, of this issue. Herded into tribal um, groups who just fight all the time. Then all the money in the world doesn't solve that problem. Some of these problems are actually insolvable without, without dislocating people from the land. And nobody's going to do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, they're more creative. Like you can start up businesses or, you know, you kind of need to give people meaningful things to do with their life. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. whether I'm not sure exactly what that means, mm -hmm. but there's surely got to be mechanisms to do that without taking them away from wherever they are. I don't think that you can just set up a business out there, though, because you're going to end up with, um, up with a problem that you're not going to have clients or anything else. Yeah, yeah. Business, businesses only, only prosper where there's clients. And what Trevor's talking about is a very remote area where there's five or six people living. So, you know, you're not going to be able to get a very large customer base from five or six people. Yeah, and I think as a... Unless, you, yeah, unless, you, unless you're doing right? some sort of, you know. No, no, yeah. Ultimately, that's why I see it as hopeless for remote communities in, uh, like, there's just no solution to bring those people and bridge the gap while they continue yeah, to live in those, while they that. continue to live in those areas. And they're the ones who most concern me and, and ultimately... What's required there is is cultural evolution, um, where we say, you know what, there's some parts of culture that were great uh, 300 years ago, but are just not going to work in the current environment. So, uh, if you continue this way, it's not going to be successful in 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 the metrics that we measure for closing the gap it's just it's just impossible and 
the sort of people who are going to be in The Voice are unlikely to recommend cultural evolution because to me they seem like people who are in the industry of maintaining Indigenous cultural purity and they would perhaps be the last people to, to, to give up on culture. I don't... They don't need to give up on culture. We're talking about sort of an evolution. Give, give up on a yeah. significant part of it, the land component, the attachment to land. Yeah. That's a big part of it. That's a, and that's also, a... I, I agree with some of your points around, yeah. like, it's going to be almost impossible to, you know, education and living standards for people out there. I'd point to the, mm -hmm. the bigger problems being, you know, the communities that are in sort of semi-metropolitan areas, I don't know, uh, what's it? Townsville or something like that, where there right. is sort of like a youth justice issue. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've got 90% of Indigenous kids, but like being in juveniles, 90% of juvenile kids being locked up are Indigenous. Mm. So they're things that, you know, we can actually bridge the gap on and aren't these sort of very rural issues mm. um, that you're talking about. And I think, you know, you'd probably, if you really wanted to be clever with the stats, you'd maybe make some allowances for things like that. So you could probably segment the Indigenous population by the people living in, you know, non-remote areas. And that would be mm. a far more fair representation of the stats. And I don't maybe know if they do that or not. But... Was that sorry, John? Mm. Sorry, mate. Maybe that's where the voice of help pointing to areas like education, especially, and... Um, juvenile detention or that sort of thing. I think education's yeah. the key. Yeah, education's yeah, a big it's... one, but also just it's a whole it's a whole span of issues, right? Like you've got kids that have parents who don't have a purpose and are struggling with their own issues and then you've also got poverty, putting them out on the streets or not enough food, and then you've kind of got boredom not in and then yeah, education as well, not being in schools and things like that. So it's it there's no one simple solution to the sort of youth justice issue faced by Indigenous people. As long as you don't end up going down the road where that uh, woman that was arguing for the oh, what was she arguing for, Trevor? She was arguing that they should have uh, education in their own language rather than English. Well, amongst amongst a bunch of other things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That would. Yeah. Was be that a, was that a couple of episodes ago? Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't yeah, particularly involved with the suggestions. Yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah, everyone needs to come to a, come to the table a little bit. It's yeah. Mm. Well, I don't know that I've got a, a lot of pressing other bits to say about it. I mean, have you, Liam? I mean. Uh, no, look, I think if I were to summarise our positions, I think you weigh the the rights element quite highly, whereas I don't value it nearly as much. Um, I think that this, I would feel more inspired that this is actually a, an opportunity for change rather than I feel you are quite cynical of the process being a you know mechanism that will actually help Um I think they're the two main things that I feel we sort of disagree on. Mm. Was there another one? Mm. Uh, no, I was. Um, 
I did mention just briefly that Marcia Langton, after that sort of 2013 period, was quite happy with just a more modest proposal, which was let's get rid of race and let's um, let's just recognise history and suffering and put it in the constitution. I think I think that would be fine. People would would have been on board with that. My my emphasis on downplaying race and and upplaying class disadvantage, I think is, um, you know, now that's just personally me compared to you, um, but I'm not alone in that some of the great American black activist thinkers were along the same lines in many cases, or mentioned multiple times, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, um, I think I previously mentioned uh, Franz Fanon and Amira Baraka. I mean, these are people who are making comments like, let's stop talking about race and deal with it. It's a class issue. And that's how American black activists moved. Our black activists have not moved in that direction yet. Look, I can I can see the the pros of that argument. I just think that, yeah, I feel that there this is such an opportunity for change, and that um, I feel that it's also such a small small right that's being granted that uh, it's just a, a body that can you know have a voice, um, mm. and I feel that kind of is something that's also quite heavy in how I've sort of judged this. They're really asking for like so very little. Um, mm. And we don't seem to even want to be granting that. So yeah, uh, like I, I can, I can, I've listened to the previous episodes on and heard those arguments. Um, and maybe if the race thing was more prominent in this for me, I just don't think it really is that prominent they get a small body that can have a voice to parliament and then hopefully it can do some good um mm. is kind of where i sit i'll let you finish on that highlight if you like liam <laughs> highlight low light who knows see, see dear listener i don't have to get the last word in every time he says getting the last word in <laughs> well should we have a show of hands who's planning on voting yes I'm still undecided. Still undecided. <laughs> well, uh, John, we couldn't get you to make a decision after. Well, I, I certainly agree with both of your points a, a lot. I'm, I'm really worried about that, what I term as identity politics um, aspect of it. You know, the people that allow, because I'm an, I'm an Aboriginal in my community. Yeah, two of my sons are Aboriginal in community. Two older ones aren't. So does that mean two of them could get on this commission and two couldn't? That, that, that worries me. I don't know. Yes. You know, I don't think they've actually said... That's what said, it means. I don't think, yeah, they've, actually, um, they don't think they've actually said what, what they're going to do to actually say, you know, um, yeah, are, they, that, are they going to do blood tests to determine whether or not someone can vote? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the bit that worries me and leans me towards no. The, the bit that leans me towards yes is that I think all these commissions that have been there in the past, um, we're basically getting run down from the get-go. You know, they only lasted as long as they did till um, somebody got in with enough 
power to just dismiss them. So if a voice gets in, maybe there will be more access to Parliament, which is going to help things along a bit. Yeah, which is, so, you know, I know Trevor's made the whole point about there being lobby groups and that sort of stuff. Um, considering their history and all that type of thing, would it be such a bad thing if the government actually gave them a lobbying arm straight into the straight into the halls of power? Mm. You know, it certainly would is... be more power than what. Like I'm a member um, and quite heavily involved in my local Labor branch. Yeah, and I can tell you, the voice will get them a lot more access than members do. I, I was agree. arguing that I was arguing with our local New South Wales MP on. Uh, Monday before last of our branch meeting, and they they're quite happy to continue on LNP um, uh, policies um, because it's convenient for them, and all their local branches are screaming at them. But you know we're not getting anywhere with it. Ah, uh, democracy! You know, Liam, I'm I've got a nickname for you when you come on next time. You're you're the Scott Whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was leaning towards a yes vote right from word go. You know, he's, he's not Scott Whisperer. You know, and he's only he's only got me to vote for the Greens for two terms just to hopefully kick the Labor Party in the pants so they actually start to behave themselves again. Yeah, all right. I'll come back in two terms, Scott, and we can have another debate. Yeah, get you all right. Two. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to call this uh, done and dusted for this episode. Um, I'm going to look uh, for another topic where Liam can convince Scott to change his mind. <laughs> no, he has not convinced me to change my mind. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ! <laughs> I cannot believe that I'm now going to come in here and justify my position to you, Trevor. I'm just joking, Scott. Yeah, okay, uh, fair enough. You were. You told me you're already a yes. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. Mm. All right. Maybe next time, Trev, we can go on. Um, I can push back a bit about polls and Ukraine. Is the other two that? I'd like oh, to now you're. On your own. Now you're tempting me. <laughs> well, I, I think if you were to come on here, John, and argue with him about Ukraine, you're going to have me supporting. You're going to have Joe supporting yes. you, and How's you know that? it's How's just that counteroffensive going. The counter-offensive is actually starting to make some progress. Oh, for God's But it sake. is very, very slow because they are trying to ta- they are trying to take out some heavily fortified areas. Uh, so uh, it's apparently they are with, to... within striking uh, artillery striking range of the main supply route mm-hmm. going down to the crime area. And as soon as they can move artillery up there, then the war changes quite significantly. Hmm. So my, my, my issue is in the middle. Um, I, I feel, Trev, that you think that Russia was justified in invading. Is that true? Uh, they were provoked and they told know, everyone yeah, what they were going to do. And that's, they, that's very and, different, though. And they, provoked, did, they did what yeah. every other superpower would do. Yes. Yeah, but, but don't you right. think we should? Don't do you think that was justified? Do I th- justified? Tricky word. <laughs> so every other and, superpower and tri- tricky, tricky would, word. Steal, would steal the children, tricky take them word. back to their own country and give them to their childless citizens? 
can we just stick with the invasion to start with? <laughs> All right. So the, the invasion is, that, that's where I'm in the middle. I, I agree with you, Trev, that America has, is was, everything that was, you say they are. Was, was right? NATO justified in, in invading Kosovo? No. I don't think any major power is justified installing their um, ideals on other countries. But according to what we were talking about the other week, arguably it was the people in those areas wanted to be part of Russia. So what you've said just yes, doesn't necessarily, the, isn't necessarily the case. Yes, but, but then it comes back to, like every, you know, pseudo-invasion that America's done, was Russia justified in taking some of the population who wanted to be with Russia and doing a full-scale invasion of a whole country? If, if the majority of the population wanted to be in Russia, is anyone justified in stopping them? No, 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 it's totally different. You can't, no, you no, can't no. justify an invasion for anything. I'm sorry, you can't. Mm. It's, it's, in 92, they, they had um, referendums and every province had a majority that wanted to be part of Ukraine, including Crimea. Crimea was one of the... Uh, we, went, we went through the polls that, that puts all that into question. I, yeah, and that's the other part that I disagree with you. Polls, you can have a poll to answer well, any you just You just used one. Like, no, no, they had a referendum. That's a big difference well, to a poll. <laughs> well, it, my main that's point really is... The, the main point with Russia is, and the Ukraine is, the Ukraine has to give in. And then whether you think whether you think in. it's justified or not doesn't matter. It it's yeah. what's done is done. What matters is what do you do, and it's it's criminal what they're doing in just sending young and now middle aged and old men in to be blown up in a minefield for no but good reason. But you can't point the finger straight at Ukraine with that without including Russia. Because they're well, doing the same thing. Well, blame both then. Well, I mean, nobody's, nobody's innocent. Nobody's innocent and all sides are to blame. How's that? Def definitely, yeah. Yeah, you, good. You can't, just say, you can't just say Ukraine should sue for peace rights right now. So, so can, I say all sides, can I say that all sides are at fault? Yes, definitely. There you go. There we go. I'm happy with that. But mm. I think Ukraine has to give in. No. And consider See, well, they that, won't. Yeah, but what, it, it, do you think is, they should? No, I don't think they should. So you've how you got any sons? You got a son? No, 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 no. That's not the point. The no, point it is, is the point. It is precisely the point, John. That young men are being sent to a mm -hmm. battlefield where there is no hope of victory, and they're getting slaughtered. Um, yes, if, but equally on both sides. Russia invaded. So they're sending their no, young no, men the, in. The point, is, yes, but the point is, Ukraine is throwing them. young men against machine guns in the same way that the British told our boys to get out of the trench and start running towards those machine guns. And we the said at the time, is they're defending their own country. It, uh, well, That's no, a huge the, the the big thing about it is they're both hopeless wastes of life that they should be ashamed yes. of for continuing. 
Yeah, both sides should be ashamed. But you can't say, as soon as Ukraine sues for peace, all right, Mm -hmm. then, okay, yes, we're going to save lives now. Yes. All right. But Russia wants the whole of Ukraine. Live to fight another (laughs) day. You live um, to fight another day. At some you point, you'll have another war in 10 years. You may well do, but guess what? You get 10 years to regroup and you yeah, get to save lives. Die. Yeah, but you've no, got 10, you got you 10, don't know you got 10 years. That gives the Russians 10 years an opportunity if, to get themselves I, I, set up for it too. You know what should happen? Yeah. Everyone in favour of this should grab their 21-year-old son and put him in the tank and send him off with a kiss. So you misunderstand me. I'm not in favour of it. No, you are. You're telling me that they should keep fighting. I'm telling you the Ukrainians should stop and you're saying they should keep fighting. You're saying more young men should be sent into a hopeless battle. Well, you're calling it I'm saying it is a hopeless battle. What's your evidence for that? The evidence is the line's not moving. It is moving. The Russians have fortified that line it's not moving. It's not worth the cost of human life to regain some territory so that you can call it Ukrainian territory. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for you, but it must be, I think it must be worth it for them. It's not worth their it. Because their country is being invaded. It's only, no, it's, it's not worth it to, it's easy for, it's easy for the people in charge to send young men in there if they're not their young men. It's easy for people to sit back here and say Ukraines should fight to the last Ukrainian and they shouldn't give up. Well, it's not them who are actually doing the fighting and the dying. So, so if someone really was invading Australia then, so if someone invaded Australia for whatever reason, take out the, the if, theological if, of it, if, so, so don't if worry someone about... invaded and took over the top half, we could yeah. just... We just sue for peace and say, all right, you can have that top half there. Yes. If there was a trench line heavily fortified that invading forces had set up and it was a hopeless situation to try and breach that trench, then, yes, I would say let's give up, regroup, save our men and live to fight Mm -hmm. another day. And if I was in Ukraine, you don't need the hypothetical. If I was in charge of Ukraine, I'd be saying let's... Uh, let's not try and breach this. Let's regroup and we're going to have to settle a new border. So, so when the Nazis invaded Western Europe, mm-hmm. uh, the UK should have just said, okay, that's it, war's over, we'll sue for peace. <coughs> well, they had a chance of winning. The Ukrainians don't. The Ukrainians do. I, I think that's... They I don't think have that's a chance. The, the Ukrainians do, yeah. They, they don't have a chance. They, they do. It's hopeless. Well, it was, but it was hopeless as day one of the war. They were going to be invaded. They were going to be overrun within a matter of days. No, no, it was worth fighting then. I'm not saying they shouldn't have been fighting then. But now that this line's been established, heavily fortified... And now it's been broken. They, it's they, been broken. They've taken yeah. Robotine. No, no, it hasn't. There's no, Brit, the, there's no, there's no successful counter-offensive. I just think you're, I think you're misjudging it, Trevor, because, you know, it's yeah. one of those things... A war's not over in 90 minutes. A war takes a very long time to get uh, get moving and that sort of stuff. When the breakout actually happens, then you will see then you will see either a very successful Ukrainian counteroffensive or a very successful Russian invasion. What, what would you say 
if in 12 months' time it's apparent the line never shifted to where we're talking about today. Well, if it was in 12 months' time, then I'd actually... And, uh, then, then another, actually... and another 5,000 young Ukrainian men have died mm-hmm. between now and then. Would you just say, oh, that's a shame? Got it? Got uh, that wrong? Gosh, sorry. Don't know. I don't know what I'd say, but I think to myself, you if, wouldn't the know line, what if, to the line, if the line hasn't shifted in 12 months' time, then I think then he's that, that, at that stage, then he's actually got to throw in the towel and say, look, what, what, and go to the bastard in Moscow and say, right, you can keep what you've already taken, but, you know, you're not going to take any more. What do you say I, I to all that... those Ukrainian women who have lost their sons, brothers, husbands, fathers, between now and in the next 12 months if the line doesn't move well, and, I it's, don't, and they're uh, wasted? I don't like, think you like, can actually argue that the line hasn't moved. No, it has yeah, I moved. agree with Scott there. And, and you can't also oh. say, it's like World War One. No one, you know, everyone was going to keep the war going while they thought they, they could win. As soon as Germany realised that they couldn't win, the war was over. And it'll be the same here. As soon as one side realises that they can't win, then it'll be over. Mm. At the moment, both sides think they can win. Yeah, I, I, if I can jump in, I don't follow this a hell of a lot. But I'd like, I'm kind of on board a little bit of both. So I think, like, there's a shocking loss of life, which is terrible. And I also very much object to sending people to war, generally from the, you know, political arm. Um, so, but I also do feel that if the Ukrainian people do want to try, then they also do have a right to try breaching the line if that's what they want to do but I, I wouldn't like the idea coming from on top so everyone, like i think ideally everyone needs to opt in these are the odds i, I think it then... should be Zelensky versus putin bare knuckles <laughs> fight to the death <laughs> winner takes all yeah but the, the point being is that like at some point the ukrainians may not want to roll over and just take it and they may want to make a stand and it might result in a shocking loss of life and they probably have the right to do that if that's their choice. But, yeah, they need to make the choice around whether the sacrifice justifies soldiers, the outcome. Soldiers on the front line are not given a choice. They're arresting people in Ireland to extradite them back to the Ukraine. Okay. Because they're well, saying I, to I the European countries, uh, you're, they're, they're, they're writing to the citizens and saying well to the countries and saying this ukrainian citizen is there in ireland um and we want him back here in the ukraine because he's got to fight that's what's going there on are also there are also troops on the ground in ukraine fighting for ukraine raising money so that they can keep going I, I, I'm of course fa- they would be i'm fairly sure that my russian friends given the choice mm-hmm. would be there in the front lines fighting against putin F- uh your Russian friends would be fighting against Russia. Yes. Right. Why because, don't they? Because they know what it's like to live under Putin. Why don't they? Well, because um, they find themselves getting shot. Right, right. Don't volunteer for the Ukrainian army. Well, yeah, but it, it's not I, their territory. Know, so I, I'm fairly certain there's a lot of Ukrainians on the front line who don't want to be there. Oh, Possibly. And, and, and who would say? That's true. Yeah. So, that's one of the shocking things about war, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if that's the case, then I think that yeah, Ukrainian, like the Ukrainian, should stop. If people mm-hmm. don't want to be there and don't want to sacrifice yeah. a, a lot of men against a line that isn't currently budging, then and, 
And and the ones who well, don't it, want it to, is punching. And the ones who do want to be there have potentially been fed a whole heap of bullshit propaganda about how we're just going to win next week when all this other stuff arrives, and they wouldn't even know. They're just relying on their superiors who are telling them, spitting them a line to say, one more week, guys, one more week. Anyway, look, you know what? Uh, a year from today, uh, Leon's birthday, 12th of September, 2024, let's just revisit where the line was and where uh, how many lives were lost in the meantime and and see what people think. But anyway, that's that. And there's one other issue, John, while I've got you there. You said something about my – you said something about polls, my love of polls or my reliance on polls. What you yeah, saying? it seems in recent episodes the last oh, six months or so, you, you've, you've really come to pointing out a lot of polls. Now, I just think polls in general don't have much credibility. Well, that. The one, if we go back to the voice one, all my 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 boys are all under um, 30. Not one of them until recently knew that there was a, uh, a referendum on. None of them ever would answer a phone for a poll. So there's no credibility in in that poll, I think. It's only, it's only grasping a minority in... And you've already just got to ask who is conducting the poll and what answer that they want. So I just don't see polsy, you know, for years as having any credibility. Um, all right. I can take well, a punt at that. I go think on. Like, um, so polls are becoming a little bit more reliable from the fact that nobody has a landline anymore. And so it's very hard to take representative statistical samples, but they mm. are representative and a good indication. So I wouldn't hold it as gospel, but they are an indication of what's going on. So like you'll see, in, yeah, yeah, like your points are valid. Well, there's a lot of people who don't know what's going on or, but, you know, you ask them questions and you can structure the, careful, the questions very carefully and, you know, they can provide an indication of what's going on. I'll be interested to see how close to the policy is referring to this. Either way. Yeah. It's not mm. looking very good at the moment. Um, no, I think no, it's, it's going to be lost. Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be lost as well. So mm. I guess my argument about polls. <laughs> Well, <laughs> next time I raise a poll, you can just you can just look at the chapters in the podcast and skip it and go to the next section, John. If you don't like the okay. polls, yeah. I like the polls, Trevor. Okay, bit of data's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On that point, we're done and dusted. We're going to go. All right, All right. chat room. It's uh, you've been making your comments. Good on you. Next week, episode four hundred. We'll do a bit of a review of things i think that's Holy what we'll do shit. 400 yes what the hell have i done with my life over the last six years <laughs> devoted to the noble cause of podcasting scott yeah, apparently so, I, yeah. I reckon 400 means eight years doesn't it it does yeah but scott went walkabout for two that's true yeah so yep well i've that's been true. around for more than half of those yeah. Very good. Okay, I'm going to go. Got to call it off. Okay, thanks, guys. Right. Thanks, uh, John and Liam in particular. Everybody says good night. We'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Black History Month you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? 
What, which month is White History Month? <laughs> no, well, no, 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 come on, tell me. Well, the, I'm Jewish. Okay, which I'm month Jewish. is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh, oh, why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no, no. I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman.